Thank you, Bellflower, for getting us started this morning. We at First Church would like to welcome those here this morning and listening on the radio. We are blessed that you are worshiping our Lord and Savior with us today. We hope that you feel his love. There are a few items to, uh, uh, there, there are several things happening here at First Church, and especially as we enter the Christmas Advent season, a few of those to, to highlight. The, uh, the Red Roses uh, on the altar this morning is in honor of John and Norma Schwer, who will be celebrating 64 years of marriage on November 26th. Happy anniversary to you guys. <clears throat> this Wednesday evening is the joint Thanksgiving Eve worship service with the New Knoxville United Methodist Church. Pastor Dennis will give the message and will be here in our, our building here at First Church starting at 730 for those that want to participate in that. <clears throat> Next week begins the Advent season. We will serve communion up front for next Sunday. So uh, uh, communion next Sunday uh, as we approach the altar. We also decorate the church after the worship service. Uh, 
we we had some comments about uh, about preparing for our Thanksgiving meal, people with abilities to cook a turkey and not cook a turkey to to help with that. But I think we can take just about anybody to help decorate the church, to carry carry things up and bring things and set things up for the decorating, and and it's a lot of fun. So if everybody's able to, uh, who is ever able to help decorate the church next Sunday after worship service, I'm sure that would be appreciated. As they say, many hands make for light work. Next, we'll have our uh, call to worship, so if you would rise and join me in that. The call to worship is taken from Psalm 116. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangle me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. I continue to serve it, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem. Praise the Lord. And now we'll have our praise song, Lord, I Need You.
Thank you for that. Next, we'll have children's chat. While the children are coming forward, please extend a warm smile, hand, and hug to those near you. has her little basket. What's in there? Huh? What do you think's in there? Goodies? Oh, what if it's full of stones? Would you be thankful for stones? Yeah. You would? What would you do with them? Paint them. Paint them. Oh, well, what if they're little tiny stones? Uh, color Island. Well, we've got some special things in the basket, but what's happening this week? Thanksgiving. What does that mean? That means you're going to have turkey, maybe. You think I'm going to have turkey? Hmm? Maybe. You guys all like turkey? Yeah. And uh, you like all that stuff? Yeah. Oh, oh yeah. And, and why are we celebrating Thanksgiving? To give thanks. Who started Thanksgiving? Where did it start at? Well, the Indians and the Pilgrims. Right. And you know this next year, in 2020, it will be 400 years since they landed at Plymouth Rock. I saw Plymouth Rock. It's not very big. But after 400 years, I guess it just got kind of small. I mean, it wasn't very big. So the year after that, because he came in September, and it got cold like this, and they didn't—they got a lot of them got sick and didn't make it through the winter. And the next summer, the Indians taught them to do what? Hmm? They taught them to plant food. What kind of food? Carrots. Well, they didn't plant candy corn. <laughs> Wouldn't you love that? You think if I plant these, it'll grow? No, they planted corn. And then they learned how to use that corn from the Indians. And so then they celebrated Thanksgiving because they had a lot to be thankful for, didn't they? They had new friends and things like that. Well, five pieces of corn, they didn't have much to eat that first year, but afterwards they celebrated. Now, I have in this bag five pieces of corn. You want to count, see how many's in there? Okay, what I want you to do when I give you these is Thanksgiving, and you probably won't wait that long. Before you eat one, you have to say, I am thankful for... <laughs> but you have to come up with five of them. Okay? You're, you're thankful for cheesecake? Oh. 
Well, if I take one kernel out, I'm going to say, I'm thankful that God loves me. Huh? Does that sound? And if I take another kernel out, I'm going to thank God for providing all kinds of things for me that I need. Does he provide for you what you need? And then I'm going to say, for kernel three, I'm going to say, Thank you for my friends. Are you thankful for your friends? Sure. Yes. And number four, I'm thankful for my family. Thankful for your family. Did everybody get? No. So, and then I need one more. I am thankful that God hears my prayers. So when you take these out and you eat one, you think of something that you're thankful for. And if you can, if you can really have fun, you put one on every plate at Thanksgiving, and everybody who gets one has to tell them five things they're thankful for and see how fun that is. Okay? All right. Let's say a, let's say a prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for providing for all of our needs and, pri- and providing us with your love. We love you, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Lost in our service in Afghanistan. Chief Warrant Officer, 2nd Class, David C. Nottle, 33, from Tarrant, Texas. Chief Warrant Officer, 2nd Class, Kirk T. Fuchigama, Jr., 25, from Keanu, Hawaii. Fort Meade, Maryland, Crypto Technician, 1st Class, Trent Frazier, 24, from New York, New York. Island County, Washington, crypto technician first class, Stephen G. Dumovic, 33, from Corpus Christi, Texas. In Jessup, Maryland, crypto technician second class, Quinn T. Teeter, 22, from California. In Fort Meade, Maryland, Cryptologic Technician, third class, Ian B. Younger, 22, from Tennessee. And in Oklahoma, Vance Air Force Base, Lieutenant Colonel John Matt Kincaid, 47, from Tucson, Arizona. And second Lieutenant Travis B. Wilkie, 23, from San Diego, California. Thank you, Jay. 
Uh, before we go to the Lord in prayer, I just want to give one more quick update about Operation Christmas Child. First of all, thank you for all of you who helped carry the boxes out last week after our prayer send-off. Uh, there were so many of them over there. Um, in fact, we had a hard time fitting them all in the vehicles uh, to, to load them up to send them away, but we managed to do so. Uh, so first of all, thank you for all those who helped um, and, and made that possible uh, and have been helping along the way throughout that whole uh, project. Um, there's actually been more boxes that have started to trickle in throughout this week as well. Um, and it's actually been, it's actually really exciting because these boxes that have come in this week have actually brought our total up to 500 boxes that we, uh, put packed and have donated to Operation Christmas Child. So thank you to all of you who've been involved in making that happen. And just what a blessing to, to be able to participate in that ministry. So, um, as we, as we, we, as I thank you for your help and your support in that, let's now go to the Lord and thank him for his many blessings and, uh, and ask him for our, his support in our lives through prayer. Uh, Lord God, I thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to give back. Lord, you have been a blessing to us in so many ways, in ways that we can't even begin to, to understand and, and, and fathom for ourselves, Lord. Uh, you are our rock. You are our provider. Uh, Lord, you are our creator and our sustainer. And so, Lord, it is our it is our joy and is our blessing to be able to give back to you uh, through ministries like Operation Christmas Child and the others, many others that we support, Lord. We ask for your blessing to be on those boxes, um, and thank you, Lord. And now, as they are as they have been sent out, that they would, uh, Lord, be a blessing to those who receive them. Lord, we ask also that you would help us to have an attitude of gratefulness and thankfulness this week. Uh, as we gather with family and friends to celebrate Thanksgiving, we ask, Lord, that you would bring to mind the, the reason for us to be thankful. For, Lord, first and foremost, for your son, Jesus Christ, who came to this world, who died on the cross, who rose again so that our sins could be forgiven and that we could be brought into a relationship with you. Lord, that is... That is our reason for thanksgiving and praise this morning and every morning, Lord, as we reflect on your goodness towards us. Lord, also help us to bring to mind the many other reasons we have to be thankful in, in, in our, with our families and our friends, Lord, uh, and, and help us this week as we do that to keep our focus ultimately on you, Lord. Uh, we also pray for the many, many needs that are represented in our prayers and concerns list. Um, we ask for your presence to be with each of these individuals. Uh, Lord, we may not know uh, the people on the list. We may not even know, we may not know the situations that they're going through, but we fully believe and trust that you do. And so, Lord, we pray that your will will be done, uh, that your goodness and your provision would be made known and experienced, Lord. And even if the, the answer to prayer, Lord, is not what we always expect or want, help us to trust in your goodness and your will above our own. Uh, we pray all these things uh, according to how Jesus taught his disciples to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. If you're able, I invite you to please stand and join with us as we sing number 433, Sweet Hour of Prayer.
Amen. You may be seated. Lord God, as we take this time now to give back to you, we ask, Lord, that this offering would be a blessing to uh, Mercy Unlimited Jail Ministry and, and the work that they do to share the gospel uh, with those who are in need, Lord. We ask that you would bless this these offerings, Lord, as we give to you, this is an act of worship. We thank you that we have the, the privilege and the joy to give back, uh, Lord, and we ask for your blessing upon this time. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite those who are helping with the offering to come forward at this time.
please remain standing for our, our scripture reading this morning from the first ch- book of John, chapter 5, verses 13 through 21. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the constant confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. If you see any brother or sister commit a sin that does not lead to death, you should pray and God will give them life. I refer to those whose sin does not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death, and I'm not saying that you should pray about that. All wrongdoing is sin, and there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that anyone born of God does not continue to sin. The one who is born of God keeps them safe, and the evil one cannot harm them. We know that we are children of God, and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. We know also that the Son of God has come. And has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true by being in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray together. Lord God, we thank you for... uh, for this time this morning to worship you. We come before you uh, with the opportunity to praise you through, through song, through prayer, uh, through the reading of your word, and now as we open your word together, uh, through the opportunity to study it together. I pray that you would uh, give me words to speak as we, as we open it up together, and I pray that, you're, that you would uh, open up our hearts and minds to what you have to say to us this day. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. As we approach Thanksgiving week uh, this this Thursday, uh, it's a great time to gather with family and friends and and enjoy good food and and watch football. Um, as a transplant from Western New York, uh, living here in Ohio, I don't get to watch the Buffalo Bills much, but they are playing the Cowboys this Thursday. So um, if you want to support me in spirit and, and encourage me, you can watch the game and root for the Bills um, because I will probably be doing that. Uh, but Thanksgiving is so much more than football and food, isn't it? Thanksgiving is an opportunity for us to, to slow down and to, to pause in the midst of our busy, chaotic lives and thank our Creator and our Sustainer for all of His many blessings. And there's something that happens when we do that, isn't there? There's something, something very important that happens when we pause in, in order to give thanks to God. And, and the, one of those things is, is an attitude adjustment that takes place in our own hearts and minds. It's amazing when we pause and, and take time to be grateful, when we take time to thank God and, uh, for, for all the things that he's done for us, it helps us to see things from his perspective. It helps us to put all of our, of our hardship and our troubles and even our blessings in their proper perspective by seeing them uh, with, with a God perspective rather than our own human-centered one. I mean, it happens when, from a human level too as well, when we take time to thank those who have been a help to us. Uh, it, it changes our attitude towards them, and, and hopefully it changes their attitude towards us. But especially as we do that with, in terms of, of thanking God for his many blessings, it really helps us to see things from his perspective. And as we wrap up our, our study in First John here today, I believe what John is trying to help us to see is, is help us to see things from God's perspective, see things ultimately according to his will. 
He starts this passage by, by reminding us of his purpose for writing this letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, this idea of eternal life, of, of being born again, of, of being in one of God's children is a theme that we see throughout John's writings, especially here in 1 John. It's one that he comes back to over and over again. And as he's wrapping up this letter, he takes time to remind us once again of that purpose, that we may know that we have eternal life. And you see, that eternal life is meant to change our perspective and how we view life in this world. It's an attitude change. We're called to live according to God's will and not our own. Paul puts it this way in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The first 11 chapters of Romans talks a lot about God's salvation through Christ and and kind of the uh, fleshing out of what that means. But then in in chapter 12, he he turns a corner and he says the, the, the chapter opens with the word therefore. In other words, because of all the stuff I just explained to you, because of the love we have experienced through Christ, he says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. In other words, as we as we depend on God's mercy, as we as we learn to offer ourselves up to God and, and, and mature in our relationship with him, he says, then we'll be able to know and, and, and understand what God's will truly is. And as we do that, we no longer conform to the patterns of the world, but we allow ourselves to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. We allow ourselves to be transformed more and more into God's image. And it's a transformation that takes place from the inside out. It's a transforming of the mind. It's a transforming of the attitude and our perspectives. In other words, as we truly come to understand what it is to be, to be blessed with eternal life, to know God and have a relationship with him, it's going to change our perspective on some things. And that's what John here is getting at in 1 John chapter 5. And he lists several specific things. Of course, this change, this transformation is, is comprehensive. It's not limited to just the things he mentions here. But, but these things are examples of how that attitude change is to take place. We're, how we're called to live according to his will and not our own. First of all, it affects how we pray. Going back to 1 John chapter 5, beginning in verse 14, he says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we asked of him. He says here that we're called to pray, first of all, with confidence and boldness. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we know we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Verse 16 then, let us approach God's grace, excuse me, God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. You see, we can have confidence when we approach God in prayer, not because of who we are and what we've done, but because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We have confidence in prayer because of Jesus' death and his resurrection. He offered himself up as a sacrifice for us. He is our great high priest who who opened the way for us to be in a relationship with God. 
The book of Hebrews uses this, this, uh, the imagery of the high priest and the sacrifices over and over again to help us understand exactly what Jesus did for us. Jesus himself is our high priest. The priest's function was to, was to be a mediator between, between God's people and God himself. They were the ones who offered the sacrifices. They were the ones who stood in the place in the temple and, and, and prayed to God on behalf of the people. But that's no longer needed because Jesus himself now is our high priest. He offered himself and he is now the one through whom we have access to God. In fact, when Jesus was on the cross and as he gave up his life for us, it says that the curtain in the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That, temp, that, that curtain which, which separated the Holy of Holies where, where God's presence was thought to dwell and, and the rest of the temple was no longer there. It was torn in two, symbolizing the access we now have to God through prayer. So we can have confidence and boldness, not because, in and of ourselves, but because of what Christ has done for us. We also can have confidence because he's given us the Spirit. That if you have put your trust in Christ, if you, if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God who died for us and rose again, then, then Scripture tells us that God has given us His Spirit to live in us. So it's not that we have to go to a certain place to pray. It's not that we have to, to pray and somehow our, our prayers have to reach up to heaven somewhere else. No, we have the Spirit of God dwelling in us. We can pray and know that we're heard because God's Spirit is with us and He hears our prayers. In fact, in Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27, it reminds us that, that even when we're not sure what to pray, even when we're not sure how to pray, the Spirit is with us to guide us and to intercede for us. Romans 8, verses 26 and 27 says, In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We don't know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. You see, there it is again, in accordance with the will of God. Just as John says in chapter 5, that God hears and answers our prayers according to His will. You see, sometimes we, we buy into this idea that God doesn't answer our prayers. But I believe that God always and will always answer our prayers. He just may not always answer them the way we expect or want. When I was growing up, uh, my parents uh, were a huge Garth Brooks fan, and I kind of inherited that. And one of his famous, most famous songs from, from the early 90s was, uh, was a song called Unanswered Prayers. Right? Many of you are probably familiar with that song. Um, you know, he talks about thanking God for unanswered prayers because the things that he had prayed for ultimately weren't what was best for him. And, and he was recognizing that God had a bigger and better plan for him. And while I appreciate the, the, the message of the song, I, I, would, I would say that the title's a little off. It's not that God didn't answer his prayers, it's just that he didn't answer them the way he expected. You see, God always answers our prayers. Sometimes it's with a yes, but sometimes it's with a no. Sometimes he says, yes, but not yet. Sometimes he says, yes, that's, that's what I want, that's what I desire for you, that is part of my will, but you have to wait on my timing and not your own. And sometimes he answers our prayer by telling us that he's got a much better idea in mind. That our, maybe our idea, our prayer was short-sighted and, and not ultimately what was best for us. And so he tells us and reminds us that he has a better idea. Because God will always answer our prayers, as it says in Romans, as it says in 1 John, according to his will. See, we often approach prayer with the, with the wrong mindset. 
And again, this is part of that attitude adjustment and perspective change that, that John is trying to get across here. Unfortunately, we often approach prayer as if God is some magic genie that is going to grant us our, our wishes. But that's not how God operates. Prayer is not about what we can get out of God, but it's about, about what God can do in and through us. He's not here to cater to our needs. Instead, instead, as we pray, God works in our hearts and minds to change us from the inside out. Prayer is often the avenue through which God shapes our hearts and our minds. And as we pray, as we faithfully seek God and His will, He's going to work in us to change our attitudes and our perspective about the thing that we're praying for. For example, I, I believe it is practically impossible to faithfully and consistently pray for someone that, and, and continue to hate them or hold a grudge against them. Think about it. If you, if you have an issue with someone, if you, if you, are, if you are in a feud with, with a person, right, and you commit to pray for them each and every day, not pray that, that their attitude would change, right? Not pray, that, not pray for them to get it all figured out, but honestly and earnestly seek God and ask God's will and direction for your interactions with this person. You're going to find that, that your attitude and your perspective about that situation is going to change. It may not be overnight, certainly not going to be instantaneous, right? But your attitude about that situation is going to change because you're no longer going to see them through your own eyes and through your own lens, but you're going to begin to get a glimpse of God's perspective on the situation. So try it. If you have a hard, difficult situation, if you have, have a coworker or family member um, that, you are, don't see eye, that you're not seeing eye to eye with, especially as the holidays approach and you may be seeing more of them than you normally do, take time to pray for them. Commit to praying for them. Because as you do so, not only will, will God possibly answer that prayer, uh, will, will God will answer that prayer according to his will, but he's also going to change your attitude on the situation as well. You see, when we seek God in prayer and, and truly and honestly seeking him is key, he will transform our hearts so that we begin to desire his will to be done and not our own. Psalm 37.4 reminds us, it says, Take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Some people take that, that verse or verses like it out of contents and say, All right, as long as I trust in the Lord, he's going to give me whatever I want. When I was uh, a youth pastor and working with, with other churches putting on uh, uh, youth events in a camp, there was this one uh, other youth leader that, uh, that took this verse a little bit out of contents, and he actually shared with the kids that, that his desire for his life was that he would have a Ferrari, right? And that, that because God had put that desire in his heart, that he felt God was obligated to answer that prayer for him. He didn't know when or how, but he, he believed that he was going to have a Ferrari one day because that is something that he desired, and if he desired it, then it must be part of God's will. That's not what that verse means. Right? That's not what, what the psalmist means by, by delight yourself in the Lord and he will grant you the desires of your heart. What he means, I believe, is that as we delight ourselves in the Lord, as we truly and honestly seek him, he's going to change the desires of our heart. And we're no longer going to want the things that we wanted before. We're going to want to see God's will done in our lives. Our heart is going to begin to line up more and more with his heart. Our desires are going to be to see God's will done. And, and if our desire is to see God's will done, then he will answer those prayers in our lives. Think about what the prayer we pray every Sunday together, the Lord's Prayer. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. 
Right? That's what the, the heart of prayer is all about. And so that, that then leads to, to, to a question for us then. Okay, how, if that is true, if we are called to eternal life, we're called to see our perspective on prayer change, how does that then affect us? How are we called to pray? Now, there's three things I want to share with you this morning. One is we're called to submission. We're to pray for God's will and not our own. Think of Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. If there's any person in this world who had the right to pray for their will to be done, it was Jesus, right? He's the Son of God made incarnate. He, 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 he was perfectly obedient to the Father. And as he was praying in the garden the night he was betrayed, he was so consumed with, with what was about to happen that, that Luke says he even began to sweat blood. And so he goes off into the, by himself in the garden to pray. And as he kneels down before the Father, he says, Lord, if your Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. In other words, if there's any other way for this to happen, if there's any other way for, for us to save your creation, let's do it. If it's possible, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. See, that's the model of prayer, of submission that Jesus gave us. Is, is he says, look, look, this is... For us, it says, all right, here's, Lord, what I want. Here's, here's what I believe is the, the best situation for me. But then we have to be willing to submit ourselves to the Lord and say, not my will, but yours be done. Lord, if you've got a better idea, Lord, if you have something greater in store for me, then, then I need to submit myself to your will and, and ask for your will to be done. So first of all, we need in prayer to be willing to submit ourselves to God. The second thing we need to do is be persistent. We need to continue to pray even when we don't see immediate results. In Matthew 7, Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven good good Give good gifts to those who ask him. So in everything, do to others that you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Jesus encourages us to to continue to pray, to continue to seek, to ask, to knock. Because he promises that our prayers will be answered. Again, according to his will, not our own. But our prayers will be answered. In Luke 18, he tells the story of a persistent widow and an unjust judge. This persistent widow who had been done injustice, she, she consistently and constantly went before this judge. And even though he was unjust, even though he was not concerned about her or the situation, he eventually gave in to her plea because of her persistence, because of her audacity. How much more will a just and loving and kind and gracious and compassionate God be willing to answer our prayers as we consistently and, and persistently go before him in prayer? We may pray for years for something. We may pray for years for our children's salvation. We may pray for years for healing to take place. And we may never see the results that we expect. Or we may not see them in our timing. Right? As we, as we pray for healing for someone with cancer, yes, we would have loved to see that instantaneous, in that moment, healing. But sometimes God's timing is different than our own. 
We pray for the salvation of loved ones. We pray that they would come to know and and love the Lord. And we may not see that immediate impact of our prayers right away. But God doesn't say just to give up. God doesn't say just pray once and be done with it. He wants us to consistently and persistently pray to him. So we must be willing to submit to God's will. We must be persistent, but we must also be saturated. Our prayers must also be saturated in Scripture. We need to allow God's Word to inform how we pray and what to pray for. If we are called to pray according to God's will, the obvious question is, well, then what is God's will for my life, my situation? We hear, I hear that question all the time. How do, I, how do I pray for God's will if I don't know what it is? Well, we may not know it in a very specific way. We may not know exactly what God wants me to do with the situation at work, right? But we can know what God's will is in a more general sense because he's given it to us in his word. When we pray according to scripture, we're always going to be praying according to God's will because God's will is revealed to us in scripture. That's why it's important for us to be in God's word and to to meditate on it as it says in Psalm 1. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in the step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yield its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. When Scripture talks about meditating on God's Word, it's not meditating in the sense of thinking about nothing. Right? When we think of meditation, we think of an emptying of the mind that, that you just think about nothing. But that's not what Scripture means when it talks about meditating. When Scripture talks about meditating in God's Word, it talks about thinking deeply about it, dwelling in it, allowing it to, to soak in and transform our hearts and minds. That's what it truly means to, to meditate on Scripture. And, and we need to saturate ourselves in it so that when we pray, we are praying the things that God reveals to us in his word. So John here transforms the way we think about prayer. Um, and he, can, he goes on to give us a specific example of what that looks like. And that's praying, uh, excuse me, transforming how we think about sin and how to respond to that. In verses 16 and 17, he encourages us to pray for those who struggle with sin. He's talking here about a very, very specific kind of prayer, an intercessory prayer, when, when we don't pray for our own needs or our own wants, but we pray on behalf of our loved ones or those that God has placed in our lives. It's a very important thing for us to do, praying for other people. And we can be praying for people's salvation if they're unbelievers. We can be praying for people's repentance and restoration if they are believers who are, who are struggling with sin. See, God is a God of reconciliation. He desires us to be reconciled to himself and for his, his children to be reconciled to each other. We see that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Paul also tells us in Galatians 6, 1 and 2, he says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch yourselves, or you may also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. See, it says here that there's a sin that leads to death, and, and, and there's a whole lot of... Uh, um, ideas out there about what that means. John is not very clear here about what this sin is that leads to death. There's probably the, he's probably speaking to a very specific situation that, that the church that received this letter originally understood and didn't need to be, didn't need to be spelled out. You know, think of, think of if you're a parent, think about when you talk with your child about something they did wrong. 
right? And you can, you don't have to name the thing. You can say, you know, you just start talking about it and they know what you mean, right? That's kind of the idea that I think John is getting at here. The the people who originally received the letter knew exactly what he was talking about. The sin that leads to death, something very serious that had been taking place in that church. You know, it's, it's important for us to, to not get so caught up in the specifics to miss the main point. He goes on to say that all wrongdoing is sin. All sin, in other words, is equally guilty in God's eyes. And, and we should pray for our brothers and sisters that they would receive God's grace. And so it's important for us to lift each other up in prayer. If, if we know that, that uh, a friend of ours, a loved one of ours is struggling with sin, to, the first step we need to do is pray for them. The first step we need to do is lift them up to the Lord and ask for God's grace and restoration and reconciliation to be made real and experienced in their lives. And as we do that, as we, as we learn to pray for them, it also may give us opportunities then to speak truth and love into their lives. To be the avenue through which God, you know, God makes his grace and his forgiveness and his love known. But in doing so, it also helps us to, to fix our own attitude about sin in our own lives. John talks, goes on to talk about the, the difference between living under God's rule and living under the rule of the world. And I believe he shares that with us here because it can be so easy for us to get caught up in the idea of, of judging others based on their sin. Well, look how bad they are. When in reality, we need, to, we need to make sure that we are looking at ourselves as well, recognizing that we are all sinners in need of a Savior myself included, that we are all in need of God's grace. And so in, in Luke chapter 6, Jesus tells, tells people, says, why do, you, me, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when you yourself fail to see the plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you'll see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. In other words, we need to change our own attitude towards sin as well. We need to recognize that we aren't always living according to God's will and we need to seek forgiveness and grace in Christ too. God's forgiveness isn't just for those other people, it's for me, right? We are all in the same boat. We all need to depend on God's grace in our own lives. In Colossians 1, it describes how, how that in Christ we are, we are removed from the, the kingdom of darkness and we are brought into the kingdom of light. He has rescued us from that so that we may, uh, excuse me, verse 13, for he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. In him we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. See, when we're in Christ, we are no longer part of the world. What I mean by part of the world being living under, according to sin and living under the power of sin. We have been made new. We have been given eternal life. And so we therefore we should live according to that kingdom, according to the kingdom of the Son whom He loves, because that's where we belong. And so we need to make sure that we have ourselves oriented in the right direction, living as, uh, as Peter says, uh, dear, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day that he visits. See, our, our attitude needs to change not only about how we deal with other people and how we pray for them about their sin, but how we live ourselves. We need to fully depend and throw ourselves at God's mercy 
and live in such a way that it is that we are no longer under sin's power and authority, but living for God each and every day. And then John, in conclusion, reminds us here to abstain from worshiping idols. This may seem like a really strange verse to add on to this letter. It seems like it almost comes out of nowhere, but it's certainly not a throwaway verse. See, idols are just as real for us today as they were for the church in the first century, as they were for God's people in the Old Testament. You see, an idol is anything that takes precedence over God, anything that that we place first in our lives where God himself deserves to be. And so we need to then reorient ourselves as God transforms us from the inside out and gives us an attitude change that includes removing those things in our lives that, that cause us to stumble and cause us to, to take our focus off of God. There's things that we struggle with. There's sin issues that we know are obvious idols that, that we need to push back against. But there's also those things in our lives which are good, but we give them first importance. Whether it's our job, our children, our spouse, our church. Right? Anything that, that takes precedence over God takes precedence over the one thing that Christ, the one, the place that Christ should have in our lives can become an idol. See, God wants us to make Him first. Anything and everything else can be taken away. Anything and everything else will ultimately disappoint us in the end because they are only things of this world. The one thing that is eternal, the one thing that will never be taken away from us is our relationship with Christ and being found in Him and, and being. Uh, one of God's children. That can never, ever, ever be taken away. And so we need to live as if that is true. We need to make sure that we are not allowing, not allowing the bad things in our lives to take precedence over God, but we certainly need to make sure that we're not allowing good things in our lives to become more important than they should be by becoming, uh, becoming gods for us. And so... Uh, as we as we seek God's will and prayer, as we as we learn to to uh, change our attitude towards sin, we also need to learn to keep ourselves from idols, to to keep God as our number one priority in our lives, and make sure that we are seeking Him out with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Let's pray together. Lord God, I thank you that you have in in this letter given us a an attitude adjustment. Lord, thank you that you have made us one of your children, that in Christ we are forgiven, and help us now to live according to that. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I invite you to stand, if you're able, and sing our closing song with us. Number two, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing.
now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. Amen. You may go in peace.